Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Like it or not, tolling is coming to Portland freeways. First on the Abernathy and Tualatin River bridges of I-205, and later along I-5. But there's a lot of tension regarding how these dollars will be spent and about the spillover effects the tolls will have for the communities near these freeways. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Outer Southeast Portland State Representative Con Pham. She's been a leading voice in Salem on how we should rethink transportation spending. And as you might imagine, she has some thoughts on these tolls. It's Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Representative Pham, straight off the bat, are you pro-tolling? I think that tolling is an important tool in the toolbox, but I do not love ODOT's current plan of tolling, and I don't love tolling as a tool. I think ideally we would have a wealth tax or, you know, really impose the burden on the people who are most able to afford it. I think given the politics of our region right now and what we're able to pass, I think we need to be fighting for a tolling plan that is fair and equitable and transparent. And right now, ODOT's tolling plan is neither of those. Gotcha. Yeah, because a lot of people uh, within your district, outside of your district as well, are very concerned about how much it might cost. Uh, Right now, an economist estimated that a drive between Vancouver and Wilsonville, which, by the way, I know is not like a regular commute for most people, but just that point would be $15. And so I'm also concerned about how that's going to affect people of Outer East Portland, because a lot of the places that they're going to work aren't in Outer East Portland, like they're commuting. I mean, I think that even even just a part of the tolls that are just along the 205, just one third, there's three different tolling plans proposed. There's two toll gantries more immediately being proposed, and they are estimated to be around $4 each way, which is $8 per day, which is about $2,000 per year. And I do think that is a huge, um, even for my family, I actually make this commute every day and we are not low income and that is still a, a huge impact on our household budget. Mm-hmm. I am raising concerns about that because of its impact on working class Oregonians. And that's why I'm asking ODOT to pause the implementation of its plan until we can really figure out how are we going to fund a low income tolling plan that actually offers real options, not just freeway driving, um, that we have a plan for traffic diversions so that these tiny towns with urban arterials, whether it's in Gladstone or Wilsonville or 82nd Avenue in Portland, that we actually have the funds to be able to deal with the inevitable traffic diversion and that we're really investing in public transit because you cannot tell people that they have to pay this toll to drive and then not offer an alternative in public transit. Otherwise, 
tolling is a regressive tax on working class people. And I do not support that. So you're saying that aside from public transit, like what about just the physicality of more cars on on infrastructure that we all know is just not quite there yet for East Portland? I think our transportation infrastructure is in dire need of massive investment and reprioritization of where our dollars go. I've heard from so many cities and counties, particularly along the stretch of 205 that's going to be told, uh, about how they can't even afford to maintain their current roads that they are in charge of, much less, you know, an increased percentage of drivers on their streets. And we are currently in the midst of an epidemic of traffic deaths. We have had 90 people in Oregon die just from, from walking in the last year. And in in the last six months on Powell Boulevard, which runs through my street, we have had three people killed. I cannot even convey to you how heartbreaking it is. And heartbreak after heartbreak, year after year, my community has had to deal with these traffic deaths. And the root cause is that we're underinvesting in the fundamentals of safe streets. We need mm-hmm. to invest in sidewalks and crosswalks and traffic calming and lighting and safe cycling lanes. And that's why that's my priority. That's why I serve on the Joint Transportation Committee. I take my seat there very seriously because for me, we need to be reallocating our investments away from freeway expansions that just encourage people to go faster and drive more Mm -hmm. towards how do we keep our community safe so that kids can walk to school safely, so that people can get to work safely, and and so that they can keep their costs down and, and do it affordably. Right. And it makes sense. I know you have a bill hoping to shake up uh, the way ODOT counsels itself. The Oregon Transportation Commission? Yeah, the Oregon Transportation Commission. Does that have anything to do with ODOT or is that the governance that uh, oversees ODOT? Yes, they oversee ODOT in its spending and priorities um, and help set the overall direction along with the legislature as well. And ODOT commissioners are all appointed by the governor. So they're not elected, but it's this body called the OTC. And so um, my bill will expand who is at the table making the final decisions about transportation spending and approaches, because this stuff is really complex and we've got some real trouble sets and we need experts who know how to provide effective oversight of ODOT uh, and also community members who are directly affected by these decisions. Mm -hmm. And might be able to, I don't know give a very helpful suggestion of why something won't work before the millions of dollars is poured in. Exactly. <laughs> and we have to have, you know, diverse voices, right? We need mm-hmm. to have people who are coming from rural areas, people who are transit dependent, people who are seniors, right? One in four Oregonians doesn't, doesn't drive. And yet the vast majority of our dollars goes towards um, spending for, for, for drivers. And yet those 25 to 30% of Oregonians who don't drive are really getting the short end of the stick. Um, along with rural communities who are outside our metro area, um, we need to make sure that they get equitable investment when it comes to the maintenance of their ro- of all roads and bridges. And I think we need to think structurally about how we how we shift our approach. And it starts with OTC reform. Right. I know I started off with tolls, and we're going to go back there. But the bigger picture is how are we going to continue to fund all transportation, whether it's the freeways, but also the buses, the safer bike routes. You know. How is all this going to happen? Like, where is that revenue going to come from? And what is the solution there? And you're saying, let's go straight to the root and how that money is managed. 
Exactly. ODOT has a $5.5 billion budget over two years. And um, we are currently, the legislature is going to be asked to, to allocate $1 billion on top of that for the Interstate 5 bridge replacement project, which is estimated to be um, almost $7.5 billion project. And that's just a low end estimate. And we always know these projects end up costing more, but there is money, but we have to figure out what we want to prioritize. It doesn't mean we can get all of it. We can't do all of the above. We do have Mm -hmm. to make choices and they have to be different from the, the choices of the past. Again, transportation engineers, they're trained in a particular way. And we we in many ways um, are still using this the same 1960s approach. When people are stuck in traffic, they think the solution is to add another lane. You just mm-hmm. add another lane and then somehow there's this faith that then traffic will disappear. But decades of experience have shown that when you add another lane, it, um, it induces more demand. And suddenly people realize, oh, I was going to take a different route, but now there's, an, there's extra space. I'm going to go and there's multiple sources of increased demand. But the reality is in a few years after that lane expansion, people are stuck in the same traffic congestion unless we're investing in multimodal transportation options that get people out of their cars um, and people have other ways to, to get to where they need to go. Just continuing to add freeway lanes, as we've seen in Southern California and Texas, that, that yeah, just doesn't it's not going to work. You need you need better alternatives. Okay, let's take a break here. Uh, When we come back, I I really want to hear your ideas on how this new toll revenue should be spent. So let's go back. We're talking about funding and money. And we know that no matter how much some people don't want these tolls, the tolls are going to happen. So these tolls will likely bring in like hundreds of millions of dollars. One official said that they would raise an estimated at 500 to 800 million dollars. over about 20 to 30 years. So that's that's a good chunk of change. Uh, and ODOT is planning a, a few very expensive projects right now, like the I-5 Rose Quarter expansion and replacing the interstate bridge. And it's going to cost billions. So how do you think this extra tolling money should be spent? I don't think it can pass or should pass in its current form. And I don't think tolling should be used to raise revenue. I think we should make tolling as low as possible to get at our central goal, which is to reduce congestion. Because if we reduce congestion, the whole point of expanding seven miles of freeway along the 205 is to reduce congestion. But if we can do that by instituting a 50 cent toll each way or even 75 cent toll each way and get the same results that cuts traffic, even 10%, 10% is sometimes all you need to reduce enough traffic to get the flow that then um, eliminates congestion. I think when you hear certain transportation policy planners say, oh, we love tolling, I, I think I, I think they're talking about congestion pricing and and I think it sh- it's getting conflated with tolling. But um, I think it's a very dangerous path to to be depending on tolling to fund our major infrastructure projects, because then we're setting up this perverse incentive to actually want to encourage more driving because we'll be so dependent on the debt and the bonds to re the toll revenue to repay the debt, that we don't want people to decrease driving, which is in contradiction to our climate goals and what makes healthy and connected communities. So I think that's a dangerous precedent. And I and I wouldn't support that. So are you actively working to stop the tolling? Because in my head, it's going to happen. I mean, am I assuming too much or is it still up for debate? 
I think there is an active debate, and I, with other legislators, are proposing alternative approaches that can minimize tolling. That says, okay, we probably do need tolling, and it, tolling is helpful once it, it does raise revenue that you can direct towards certain um, goals, and it can also reduce congestion just enough so you can have flowing traffic. But we don't want the four dollar tolls that are currently. Or, yeah, and, and we shouldn't be dependent on that funding. So throwing political reality aside, what's your personal dream of how this should all work? I'll just speak specifically about this 205 and Abernathy Bridge project. It's broken up into two separate parts and two separate phases. Phase one has already started, and it's to rebuild the Abernathy Bridge. My dream is that we stop there and we we just toll enough to rebuild this bridge, which construction has already started and it is going to be a new seismically resilient bridge, which the community wants. And we see... Yeah, and we need. And so that is just half the cost and half the price of the total. The whole project itself in the two phases is $1 billion. And that's what they're going to be tolling for. If we can cut the project in half, once we see the tolls, the tolls then would be only $2 each way instead of $4. And so if we find that that tolling actually reduces traffic enough to obliterate the need for additional tolls, I think we call it good and we don't have to expand our freeways, right? So in my dream, we use tolling at the lowest, most minimal impact possible to see if we can solve the problem without having to expand the freeway. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I actually just really wanted to like hang out with you, talk about 82nd and uh, the concerns that are happening because we're, we're talking about tolling, we're talking about infrastructure changes, things that aren't quite happening yet. But then if we were to fast forward and like, okay, we figured out an equitable way to figure out the tolling. Uh, 82nd is getting sidewalks and better lighting and roads that, you know, I don't know. No one's talked. Yeah. Crosswalks or maybe just like clearing the corners, which every other major city somehow does. I mean, so let's say all that gets fixed within your district. Will these improvements then cause gentrification? Will it push Asian and Latin businesses and communities out of 82nd? Like, how do we ensure that these improvements are for them and aren't really like bait for an expansion of other areas of Portland? Yeah, that's why I think it's so important that transportation cannot be seen in isolation from all the other issues and and policy solutions that we need. So Affordable housing is something that I am thinking about along 82nd as well. How can the how can local governments actually invest in land banking so that we can actually move more land off the private speculative market? Those are the kinds of folks who are who are trying to wait for the land values to go up so that they can just kind of cash out and and have no investment in in this community. But as a community organizer for a long time along 82nd Avenue, I can say that there are businesses, family-owned businesses that have been here from, for decades who are here, who have seen it through thick and thin, through tough times and, and good times, and whose hard work has made it such a vibrant district. And they deserve to be able to stay in the district that they have arguably made and shaped and made so incredible. So I've reached out to other city, state, county colleagues to figure out how can we have a land banking strategy? We know this investment's coming along 82nd Avenue. It's long overdue, but how do we make sure that we're securing the properties? Portland has been known as a leader in transportation in the past, you know, with the 90s when we invested in light rail, 
but we haven't done it always equitably. And so now we need to make sure that we're we're really centering equity in these transportation investments, but also in really aggressively investing in housing and property acquisition. Right. But it's always like, well, then how and how much money? And, you know, uh, but I, I see you fighting that fight. And uh, yeah, I don't know how, Representative Bam, I don't know how you're not every day just like, I'm going to go back to bed because that would be my <laughs> approach having to deal with all this stuff. Well, I actually have found, because I have been an activist and an organizer for decades, and I think what was the most discouraging for me was actually feeling helpless. And now to be able to have an opportunity to have my voice actually, if I say, let's try to direct investments to redevelop this, you know, the old furniture store that Apano used to be at for decades, mm-hmm. just an empty, vacant furniture store, right? There are opportunities like that all along 82nd that with the right government investments can be redeveloped for affordable housing and community centers. And that kind of power, I think, keeps me motivated because I've seen I've seen that we can make changes. And I I never forget how what a privilege it is for me to be in this in this position to be able to advocate. So things get tough, but I I think the the possibilities um, and the hope that I get outweigh the, the the hard days for sure. Representative Pham, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. It was so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. And now for your microdose of news. Mayor Ted Wheeler met with Montevilla residents this weekend about plans to build camps for unsheltered Portlanders in their neighborhood. Now, the city had been considering a large encampment in that location, but the property owner says the city has since dropped the idea, though a couple of smaller sites are still planned to go up along 82nd Avenue. And a new survey says Oregonians are feeling pessimistic about the economy. Now, the poll from DHM Research says 60% of respondents think the state's economic conditions are poor. Now, that makes some sense considering uh, the rising cost of everything uh, due to inflation, but there might be some reasons for optimism. Uh, Oregon saw the second fastest job growth in 2022 of any year since 1990. I guess things might be looking up. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate, or leave us a good review? Uh, We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.